Welcome to the Thanksgiving edition of the Strongman Academy podcast. This is episode nine, and and when I started doing this podcast, when I had ideas of doing one, period, one person came to mind. Uh, good friend, longtime mentor in education, probably my number one mentor in educational leadership. Uh, when I went to set up the Strongman Academy, uh, I made sure to go down to New Orleans and spend a few hours with him picking his brain for structurally how to set this up. And I just spent the last two hours picking his brain more on how to refine it and get it better. Maurice Sweeney, he is the CEQO, the Chief Equity Officer of Chicago Public Schools, former principal of Tilden College Career Academy. It was a turnaround school in Chicago. It is no longer a turnaround school. That's like a one in 100 deal. Uh, His work with Tilden was the centerpiece of the book, Make or Break Year by Emily Phillips. Uh, Sweeney, you want to go ahead and introduce yourself for a second? Yeah. Hi, everybody. Maurice Sweeney, Chief Equity Officer for Chicago Public Schools. Uh, Glad to be here. I know Andy Chapman from our days at St. Amon High School and very excited to join you today. So I'm just going to talk about my relationship, just more on Sweeney before we even get started. He was my associate principal at Santa Mall and probably was the worst professional and personal year of my life. Uh, Nobody believed in me, including me, except for Sweeney. He found something in me and kind of kept me going, fought with me the whole way through. Not against me, fought with me, all right? Throughout my career, helped me get better and... um, He's been a great mentor to mine, and he's, he's been a friend of mine over the years. And like I said, we touch base when I try to just better serve kids' needs and better listen to kids to see what they need. He is the person I go to, and he is one of the number one inspirations of strong men. So I want to start with a single word here, Sweeney. Empathy. Yep. Uh-huh. What What in your upbringing in life has given birth to your excellence in this area. What does the word really mean to you and how does it define your leadership model? Yeah, so good question. Empathy um, at the core of it is about connection with other people's stories and recognizing that if we can connect with other people's stories by examining like a part of ourselves in relationship to other people, we are more likely to be... um, more humanistic in our relationship with them. We'll be nicer, we'll be kinder, we'll be more considerate and compassionate, uh, we'll be more supportive. And the reason I sort of like ground myself in empathy is because I think it just keeps me humble too. Um, I have my own sort of story and background about my own life and my own upbringing. And I recognize that my most effective teachers and other adults in my life Uh, really took the time to really understand me as a person and not as just a typical number on a roster in a classroom. Um, And that sort of love and care and compassion that they exhibited toward me created more opportunities for success. And so um, I do my best to replicate that as much as possible. And, uh, you know, I'll be honest too, like sometimes empathy can be challenging when we experience something, what I call compassion fatigue, 
but I recognize if we just take a moment to like take a step back and recognize that people are having their own set of life experiences just like us um, and take that and use that as energy to support people in their success, then I think we'll be better off. Okay, so a lot of people, I guess, that that fight the empathy model say we're kind of uh, pandering the kids or, or, or wiping their butt a little bit. Or What do you say to that? I say when our phone bills are due and we can't pay them, they give us a grace period. When the lights are going to be turned off, they give you another chance. Um, when we make mistakes at the grocery store or we walk through the wrong line, like we don't recognize generally people are always showing empathy toward us. When we forget to turn our blinker on and they're not blowing the horn or when somebody lets us skip the lane, like people are always sort of giving and taking um, and demonstrating empathy. And so we actually get more empathy from people than we might even recognize in our day-to-day -day lives. And we also need to understand that like in terms of schooling anyway, students are like young, they're developing and they don't have all the answers. And some of the ways in which we've made it through school is because people were empathetic to us or we knew how to play school, you know? Yeah. Um, I would like to think that we were all just brilliant and fantastic. And that might in some part be true, but the truth is people exhibit empathy all the time toward us. And we need to do the same when we're working with our young people. Yeah. And it's, it's not just the young people. I mean, empathy is the cornerstone to yeah. growth. Yep. Yep. And so, like, how do you, how does it serve your leadership model, and and how do you kind of provide it towards adults to help them, and in a way, you're modeling it to them. Yeah, I think uh, a part of empathy is vulnerability, right? So even as a principal, it was important for me to like not act as if I knew all of the answers to all of the big questions, um, and being able to stand up in front of my faculty and staff and sometimes say. I don't know, but I believe we can all figure it out together. Um, empathy without vulnerability really just shows up as sympathy. I like to listen to podcasts and TED Talks um, from different people like Brene Brown, who really starts to distinguish sympathy from empathy and recognizing that sympathy is like, oh, I feel so sorry for you. I hope this works out. Where empathy is like, come on, we can do this together. Like, I'm going to support you through it. Um, and what I in relationship to adults, like it was just important for me to give adults the same sort of space that I needed and the same sort of space that young people need. Um, you know, some of this is trial and error and not being so hard on people when they make a mistake, but just like, how do we learn from those mistakes and from our practices and from the things that we implement and try? Um, and you know, just, just being nice, man. I, I don't know. I just think sometimes, I just want to tell people, be kind, be nice, um, and recognize that each of us has made and continue to make mistakes, and we all get to grow from those. And I think that's a part of my leadership practice. Like, I really work at empathy, and when I get mad, tired, or frustrated, I learn that I just need a quiet place to relax, because, you know, when you're overwhelmed, no action happens, and so learning how to just recognize when I'm having my own sort of emotional state and needing to pull back so that I could be supportive of other people. And then recognizing that too, last thing is that adults need space to learn and grow just like students. And if we're putting so much pressure on people to deliver and meet all these demands and not taking the time to help them grow, then we're not actually 
showing or modeling the behaviors that we want adults to have with young people. Yeah, um, you, you know, you, you touched on something that, that used to just be flight or fight, mm-hmm. but now it's flight, fight, or freeze. Right. And and sometimes that's kind of people's initial response to something. Yeah, so like the brain's initial reaction to something is like, like when I, like think about anger, right? Like we always get mad when people get angry. But anger is a secondary emotion. Like before you become angry, you're either confused, shocked, anxious, worrying, wondering. Like you're trying to sort of process what's happening in your life or in a current situation. And so when we do that, like we're trying to like make sense of it. And when we can't make sense of something, the frustration mounts and then we produce anger. And so it's important to like recognize that sometimes we just need more space to like freeze so we could figure it out as opposed to trying to jump to a solution so quickly and then the solution doesn't work and then we're back at square one yeah no doubt so so tell me what brought you to tilden uh what did you bring to tilden and uh kind of what symbiotic relationship was there between sweeney and tilden yeah. Oh, that's a good question. Uh, so I was motivated by a poem to move to Chicago. The poem was called A Lost Count. And the poem was about young people's experience in school in Chicago. And one of the things that triggered me listening to the poem is that some of it mirrored my own life in a way. And I moved to Chicago and then I, I wanted a school that was that will be challenging to me as a person to help me grow. And what I recognize, I had a, a mixed school of black, white, Hispanic, and Asian students. And all of them were sort of wrestling with their own humanity and wrestling with their own neighborhood situations. And they were all beautiful, wonderful young people who were dealing with extenuating circumstances. And as a leader, I knew that my job was support, not only to support them through that, but give them opportunities so that they don't have to have those set of experiences again. And then I realized along the way, like Tilden was developing me as a person. Yeah, of course. Like I learned a lot across racial lines and community lines, and it really, really challenged me uh, and helped me to realize that if we ever want to do great work, we're gonna always have to be growing and learning and expanding and being challenged by the situations in front of us. And so I feel like Tilden is one of the forever loves of my life uh, because it taught me a lot about like young people's circumstances are not their fault. And we can't blame young people for the way that they show up in school when they're dealing with a subset of issues. Uh, that we have to treat them kindly and help them to figure out how to get through some of those things and address the the conditions that are creating these situations. Yeah, no, an an incident last week, uh, a buddy of mine was running, got hit by a a truck, flown 100 feet. So I'm in the hospital visiting him. Yeah. I see a kid in the hospital that I had suspended two weeks before that. And I was like, man, what are you doing in here? And he was with his mom, and she was on a stretcher, not doing well. And he's like, I've been in here for like three days. And he got in trouble again, like maybe two days later. And it was a very different approach Yeah, yes. that I had with him. 
it, it brought the empathy out in me and, and it made me kind of reflect on like, why, why did that have to happen? Why did I have to see him to really understand why he was feeling? Why didn't I bring it to him in the first place and ask him like, man, what is going on? I think so. Honestly, your example is one of like, one of the reasons why I think we are not doing well with servicing kids in American public education systems, right? Like a lot of it, we're asking kids to just conform to our rules. And rarely do we find that as adults, we're doing like really good listening campaigns in our schools and in our classrooms. And so it took me a while to learn until it helped me learn this very well. When I was looking at the way different students' outcomes were, like, you know, some students passing the test or, you know, doing well on assessments and some weren't. And I kept asking myself why. And then I had a moment of like, I need to actually talk to students and understand their experience of school, their experience of community, to really, really understand like how to support them. And when I started to do that, that was like, I don't know, life changing because I, I stopped making up reasons why they weren't doing well and really, really got down to whatever those core reasons were and started to transform those things and kids started to do better. That's deep. So let's let's talk about the new role, mm -hmm. um, Chief Equity Equity Officer um, of the Chicago Public School System, third largest school system in America. Um, you're the first Chief Equity Officer. Yeah, correct? yeah. All yeah, right. Yeah. So you got to set the tone. <laughs> um, dream job. Yes. All right. So let's talk about the new role and then what the equity framework that you've kind of put in place looks like. Yeah. So. The new role, so the, the job of the equity office in Chicago Public Schools is to support the district in producing more equitable outcomes for all students. And we do that through examining our policies, practices, resource allocations, um, relationships with community and families to ensure that we're looking at things through an equity lens to actually get to the outcomes we want. And so a part of the core work in the beginning is to really, really understand what is the student experience in school and what are the things around that student experience that we need to focus on in order to change it. And so the equity framework is the comprehensive guidance to helping us to know how do you approach work in schools from this point moving forward. Now, as a district, I'll be honest, we've seen unprecedented gains in multiple areas. Like we're excited about the growth of African-American male students uh, graduating from high school. We've seen a lot of growth over the last few years. We also recognize um, more kids are persisting through college. And so we're pretty excited about that. Chicago is really a district on the rise and one to watch. We also recognize we have more work to do and the more we focus on our students who have critical need, the more we begin to unpack the ways in which our systems and structures, policies and support are impacting the way student outcomes look as one piece of it. And also like what's going on in families and communities and how do we support um, sort of the larger scope of work in order to get to the outcomes we want. Okay. I hope that makes sense in some sort of way. Yeah, yeah. So touch on earlier, guys, just so you know, like I said, we talked for about two hours before we even started this podcast. Yep. What were those prerequisites to the student experience that you talked about? Oh, yeah. So there are four critical action areas that we 
talk about in the framework. Actually, the part of the framework that's released, uh, we don't dig too much into this yet. So in the second part, you'll learn more about it. But right. if we want to transform the student experience in school, we have to examine adult practices. We have to examine organizational and structural conditions. So what are the ways systems are set up? What are the ways schools are set up, schedules are set up? And we also have to uh, be sure to examine the policy and the impact on policy on schools and students and community. And so all of those things, you know, it's hard sometimes to like really explain because they all work together, right? Like we ask kids, young people, what is their experience in our classrooms or in our school? Nine out of 10, they're gonna go back to one of those other three areas, like having conversations about adult experiences and how they experience adults, talking to them about like the way schools and the system is organized and talking about the policies that are impacting their everyday experiences. And so I think we could start to like narrow down some of the focus in schools to figure out, like if we talk to young people, they'll tell us and how do we sort of make sense of what they tell us in order to change the student experience. Awesome. So socio-emotional learning, yeah, that's one of your strong suits. It's something I thrive to, to get better at every day. Uh, what all does that entail and look like? And then how do you build the capacity for it in, in an area just with limited funding? Yeah, uh, I think nothing beats a caring adult. I will say that before we talk about all of the stuff we can do or what we need to teach young people, nothing is better than somebody who cares about another human being. And if we take a moment to like slow down all of the stuff that we want to do to recognize that the human being, the adult, is the greatest resource to a student, that will probably <laughs> address half of the issues that we're facing. Um, the second piece is, is it's important to recognize that young people are not coming to us as being wrong. And like that we gotta teach them everything that they need to know. Kids walk in the door with a level of resiliency that I think we as adults actually may have not had. Like when you think about social media, like kids have, young people have access to everything right. on their phone, right? They can find out anything. And they have these social pressures that, you know, we were looking at magazines, but they get to look at all of these news feeds and all of these pictures and all of this other stuff every day. And so like they're working through all of that stuff and we have to be, make sure that social emotional learning is recognizing, number one, that adults need to be different, like I said. Number two, that students have assets, that they come to us with something. And then third, like it's really about how do we help young people navigate these relationships in order to be successful. So I'm, I'm getting off topic a little bit here, but you were talking about kids having just access to all this. Do you think some of it is just information overload and actually hinders that social emotional learning development or not? Oh, that's good. Um, I, I have two answers. So first, I think we have to just accept the fact that that is the way the world is. Right. Yeah, no doubt. And figure out how to support people in this sort of digital universe, right? Like whether they have information overload or not, the truth is we gotta help them navigate through these spaces. Um, and then I, I, so yes, yeah, information overload. But I also think the 
we have to also find ways to like help young people use that information to make better sense of their own world. Like, how do we help young people be critical about what they see and knowing the difference between, you know, clear facts and opinions and how to, like, not believe everything that they read? Like, that's a part of the... That's social-emotional learning right there, right? Like, how do I help you to... You know, the brain will naturally connect to something that it's most familiar with and we'll quick to believe it, but it may not actually be true. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Um... I don't know if I answered your question with that one, but no, I No, definitely, I definitely. And and one of my next projects with Strong Men is I want to shift kids from the idea of social media as just an entertainment source mm-hmm. to a creative force and their their ability to become more creative than, than we were. Yeah. So I would even ask so like hearing that question I would I would say like Hey, why do you think some people have more social, successful social media accounts than others? And allowing young people to do some analysis, right? Like we always say critical thinking, critical analysis. That's it right there. How why do you think the this, you know, the Kardashians are so successful with social media? Why? And let them sort of figure that out. And then say, "Okay, do you can we find some articles or some supports or some videos to support that and so what we're doing is we're building up young people's critical thinking skills using the content and the information that's readily available to them i love it you just gave me so many ideas just right there yep yep (laughs) (laughs) all right moving on to our lightning round five questions either quick or doesn't have to be so quick response first one uh daily routine uh either personally or at work Daily routine. I. Ah, <laughs> uh, that's he, a good he's, question. He's laughing because I give him <laughs> advice on daily routine. Yes, yes. No, uh, I'm joking. I, I think that my the thing that I do every morning is I get up and I say something nice to myself every morning. That's a part of my daily routine. And I started that about a year ago, where it's like, Maurice, you're a good dude, and keep going. Like just something to where I'm giving my own self affirmation. Um, and a glass of water before bed. Okay. Yep. Good stuff. Second one. Biggest similarity uh, in between Chicago and New Orleans and biggest difference? Uh, biggest similarity is good food. <laughs> Both cities have good food. Uh, the biggest difference is New Orleans is a much chill pace. And Chicago can be very vi- busy and high pace. So, like, the pace of life is different. That's crazy you say that because as someone from Baton Rouge, I think New Orleans is too busy. But it, yeah, is, yeah. <laughs> it is it is the place that I go when I want to go chill. I like I like going to New Orleans uptown when nothing's going on. Yeah, yeah. So, um, question number three, we're getting almost kind of political here. I don't know. Okay. What's Christianity's place in education and character development? To be honest, now this is going to be controversial because people are probably going to be shocked that I say this. But go ahead. None. Okay. And what I mean by that is, I don't care what religion you are. I don't care what your sexual orientation is. Be nice. Like, that sort of value, I think, crosses multiple religious groups. Um, like, I, I, I think we overcomplicate it when we get into religious beliefs and ideologies. When Like, be nice. 
Yeah. <laughs> be kind. Yeah, that was the, the the very first objective of strong men is to create a belief system in which children can govern them themselves in their lives. Because here's the thing, like Christianity, for example, shows up very differently to different people. Like you have Baptists, and then you have Southern Baptists, and then you have Episcopal, like all of these sort of variations. And I think the root of all of those things is be kind to one another. Yeah. And I don't think we need any sort of religious implication to tell us to be nice. If we do, then shame on us. Right. Good answer. <laughs> All right, number four. Which is a higher priority in the lower socioeconomic setting, character development or the academics? I think it is understanding that the reason why people are living in certain conditions is usually because we are we have created divested communities. We have laws and situations that are impacting the way people live their day to day. And so I don't know, I don't even know how to answer. I mean, I can give you a made up answer, but I don't want to do that. I think they're both are important. At the end of the day, young people have to graduate from high school with great opportunity. So we can't sacrifice academics in any way. And like, hope that kids just be socially emotionally well when they leave. And character development has to be about their own sort of growth and recognizing what their talents are and how they want to share those talents with the world. Beautiful. Last question. Favorite quote? Uh, whew. <laughs> um, I think Iyanla Van Zant says it this way. All things are lessons that God or the universe would have us learn. And how do I look into that lesson, get what I need from that lesson, and offer it up? I give myself away so you can use me. Like, I always think about when she just talks about all things are lessons that God or the universe would have us learn. So every time I think that every every experience is, is to should be teaching me something. Uh, and then there's one by Rumi, which says... There's a side of something like I'm, I'm butchering this quote, but like there's between the side of right doing and wrong doing is a field. I'll meet you there. Oh, wow. It's, it's, I, Great way to end it. It's good. Thank you, brother. Thank you. Appreciate it. Love you. Appreciate you coming on. Yep. Yep. Happy Thanksgiving, y'all. Thank you.